All right, Michael Wilcox, thank you so much again for coming back and joining us on the oh, podcast. Oh, my pleasure. I had a, life, had a lot of fun last time. We did too. We did too. And uh, we, we wanted to have you back as soon as possible. Uh, this, this particular conversation actually grew out of a, a conversation that we had off air af- after we finished recording the last episode um, in which you shared an analogy that really stuck with us. It's an analogy that has to do with a compass uh, the drawing tool, not the right. directional tool, right. and it, and how it relates to your approach to finding truth. Would you maybe we could start? Would you share that analogy? Yeah, I, I can. Actually, it's the last gift my wife gave me before she died. Oh, wow. So, it's a, it's a navigator's compass. It's a, not a, a scout compass that shows directions. You, you it looks. I actually brought it for those who are uh, who can see it. A navigator's compass has two feet. And one of those feet I call the fixed foot. And one of them I call the searching foot. And maybe I love the compass because when I was a little boy, I couldn't draw a circle to save my soul. <laughs> and a teacher gave me a compass. And she said, if you'll just fix the foot, if you'll just plant the one foot, and there's a little lead in the other one, uh, you'll be able to draw a perfect circle. I was a little bit unbelieving at first, but I did draw a perfect circle. And then for the next months, I went circle crazy. I drew circles on everything. (laughs) And because of that, I've loved the compass. I've traveled a lot in the world. And I think the, the question has never been, as we're looking at other religions, other cultures, other people, the question has never been, Let's find the one true faith, the one true religion, the best culture, whatever, uh, among all the false ones. Right. Mm-hmm. That's not the question. The question is, where will I find truth and goodness and beauty in its most mature form? And that is where I want to plant my fixed foot. Now, part of the purpose of the searching foot is uh, I, it's looking for a, a fixed Point, but I want to try and find a fixed position. So if you're Muslim, you think uh, truth and goodness and beauty in its most mature form is in the Quran and the teachings of the Prophet Muhammad. If you're Buddhist, it's in the Dhammapada and the teachings, uh, the Eightfold Path uh, of the Buddha. If you're Catholic, you fix your foot. You think it's in the teachings of Jesus of Nazareth as those teachings are passed down through Catholic tradition. If you're Protestant, teachings of Jesus of Nazareth, in need of reformation. Mm-hmm. If you're a Latter-day Saint, we believe it's in the teachings of Jesus of Nazareth, of Nazareth uh, as seen through the lens of the Restoration. So I fix that. I plant. I fix that foot. Now I have this other foot that I call the searching foot. Uh, that wants, that yearns, that reaches for all truth, all goodness, all beauty, wherever it can find it. So, so many people, unfortunately, of all religions and cultures, I mean, we can, I'm applying this to religion, I can apply it in other ways. They take the searching foot and they put it right up close next to the fixed foot. Right. Mm-hmm. And they draw this little tiny circle around it. For a number of reasons, maybe they don't think there's anything out there. We have it all. Uh, Maybe they're afraid of what's out there. Uh, Maybe they're uh, too lazy to look for what's out there. Maybe a lot of reasons why people people don't. 
But what we want to do as Latter-day Saints, as Christians, um, is to reach out. I just want to stretch that searching foot as far as I can and draw the biggest circle. Now, I haven't moved my fixed foot, so I don't have to think, you know, to fear uh, what's out there. I can stay planted, but I want to reach out and, and, and see. And I will find that as I reach out, I have found in life that there will be some things other faiths, other cultures, other approaches to life may do better than I do. Uh, head of the Harvard Divinity School, Krista, Kristen Stendhal, called that holy envy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There are things that they may do better than me. And it will enhance and enrich all that I have. So I've, I've tried to do that in my life. Um, I think I started out life very narrow. I think probably most of us do, with small circles. Uh, God spoke to the Old Testament prophets. Uh, Jesus came, the apostles. We had, uh, for Latter-day Saints, a Book of Mormon. There's a restoration. We'll give a little credit to the um, reformers. But it's a fairly small understanding of God's interaction with man. And yet we say he loves all his children. So now I would say God has been speaking to his children all the time, every way he can, everywhere. And if I can't hear the voice of an apostle or a prophet, maybe I can hear the voice of a sage or a philosopher or a poet or a playwright or an artist or in the lives of beautiful men and women. So that, that's kind of my, my mm-hmm. approach. Uh, there will be times I can't reach out far enough I'll have to move my fixed foot. I'll have to give up something if I'm going to accept another. There are limits. I want a broad circle, but there are certainly going to be things that I can't embrace without giving something up else. Anyway, I hope that's uh, what you're looking for. Yes, I I just can feel my soul just light up with this idea. I love love this, this metaphor. I wondered if you would talk specifically about those of us who have our fixed foot in in the restoration and and what do we have inside our tradition that sort of feels like permission to seek for goodness? Because I think we have a lot of, you know, specifically restoration scripture that talks about this idea. But but then on the other hand, we have language like the fullness of the gospel. And 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 we I think there's another way to to think about our tradition as as complete that, you know, we have it all. That isn't that literally what we mean by fullness of the gospel that we it's that's what's special about it that we don't need anything else. So, would you talk about how you reconcile? I reconcile. Those? Uh, mm-hmm. You know, we take the phrase "fullness of the gospel." There's another phrase we use in the church, uh, in the scriptures, that I think has equal weight. It's the full, the dispensation of the fullness of times, the fullness of times. Now, I can, we can play with that phrase a lot, but I would say fullness of times, as I understand it, as I look at it, is that God is saying, in your modern world, with all the advantages that you have, I get to look back and take all the goodness and the beauty and the truth of all times, all climes, 
all places. Yeah. yeah. So I get Shakespeare and I get Michelangelo and I can have Confucius and I can have the Book of Mormon and I, I can have the Bible. I get Francis of Assisi. I get Joan of Arc. I get Tolstoy and Dostoevsky. I, I, I get all this richness and fullness of God's interaction with man in not just the religious realm. Mm -hmm. uh, so fullness of the gospel, great. We might say the our fixed foot point is the best place to understand Jesus and what he came to do for us. Because we have this other testament of him, you know, this other this Book of Mormon, because God is present in the Latter-day Saint faith. He, he's not just a past God. So I, I think the phrase fullness of the gospel is great. But let's weigh it with fullness of times, and then we get to go out and get all the fullness. Mm -hmm. Even in a religious perspective, I, I sometimes like to take people to 2 Nephi 29. I like 2 Nephi 29 because it's the a Bible, a Bible, we have a Bible. Right. So it's the scripture that Latter-day Saints use to say to the rest of the Christian world, why are you against more? Mm -hmm. Okay, here's another testament of Christ. But if we're not careful, we might find ourselves saying a Book of Mormon, a Book of Mormon, we have a Book of Mormon or a Doctrine and Covenants, and, and there can't be, we have to just be careful. We, we don't limit. God has been speaking all the time, everywhere, every way he can. Mm -hmm. So in 2 Nephi 29, just look at these phrases. God is speaking to you and I to this question. And he says, know ye not that there are more nations than one? There's a China, there's an India, there's a Europe. Mm -hmm. Know ye not th that I, the Lord your God, created all men, more nations, and they're all mine. I remember those who are upon the isles of the sea. I've learned beautiful things from Polynesian mythology. Beautiful things. We go a little bit further. He says, I remember one nation like unto another. I command all men, both in the east and in the west and in the north and in the south and in the islands of the sea. In other words, in the tiniest speck of land, I'm speaking. I'm inter interacting. I'm engaging. I'm giving that they shall write the words which I speak unto them. Sounds like it's everywhere. Mm -hmm. And then this, I speak unto the Jews, they'll write it. Okay, there, we, we got that one, that's the Bible. Right. I speak unto the Nephites, they'll write, we got that, Book of Mormon. I'll speak unto the other tribes of the house of Israel, there's debate on that, you know, we, we, which I have led away. And this one that we, I think, miss. I shall also speak unto all nations of the earth, and they shall write it. And so I raise my hand to the, I, I say, Lord, um, when did you speak to the Chinese? And I can just hear him say, Mike, well, haven't you read the Analects of Confucius? You know, we can do a little bit in there. I brought it. <laughs> haven't, you, haven't you read Mencius? Uh, have, have, you, have you read the Tao Te Ching? Well, when did you speak in India? 
haven't you studied the life of the Buddha and some of his teachings? So I, I think that um, there is ample permission in Latter-day Saint scripture. Section 88, I want you to learn about everything he says. Mm -hmm. uh, Alma 29, then I'll quit and let you ask another question. <laughs> oh, this, is, uh, I, this is great. Alma says, this one, he wants to be an angel. Oh, I want to just spread... Latter-day Saintism, as I think you called it in one of your... Yeah. Uh, I got that from Terrell Givens. Because we can't call it Mormonism <laughs> yeah, anymore, exactly. right? Oh, we got we to gotta eliminate the word Mormon. Um, Alma wants to just spread this message. And then he says, The Lord doth grant unto all nations of their own nation and tongue to teach his word in wisdom all that he seeth fit that they should have. So I just want all that. Mm -hmm. yeah. I want God's footprint. I want to see his footprints everywhere. And I do. And it just enriches and enhances. I, I'm not moving my fixed foot. Mm -hmm. I may have to adjust it a little bit. Yeah. Okay? And we do missionary work because we, we're hoping people <clears throat> will move the fixed foot. We, we say, we believe we have the best fixing point, the most stable solid, which will enable you to embrace and correlate and mingle together and live by all the goodness and truth and beauty in the world. That's what yeah. we say. But we certainly don't say, see our little circle? Right. This is it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I, I love that you say that, you know, if you can't hear, if you can't hear these words, you may hear it from a sage or from art or from music. And I, back to Second Nephi, just a few chapters later in, in chapter 31, he says that God will speak in the language and or according to the language and understanding of the people. And I, I love the idea that like, maybe that means not language. Like maybe that means that God reaches you through music or uh, or through art and and so that just is one more layer that of, of exploration that I think sounds really interesting because we talk about like the apostasy like there was all this darkness and there were no right. holy books and like but if you I think Fiona Givens was the one who pointed this out that if you're if you're looking for more than holy books there I mean holy books from Europe or you right. know, from Jerusalem or the United States or the Americas, you know, that then then you have this whole other world of art that God was reaching his people through. And in the so you have this book, um, Ten Great Souls I Want to Meet in Heaven. And I love the prologue of this book. I want the prologue to also be its own book because it just it really hits on all of these points that you're making. And and I love that you ask why you say surely God would speak to humanity through every voice, like every voice. And, and that won't necessarily I don't think that necessarily has to be text. And I, yeah. I just love entertaining that idea. Like, how else is God trying to reach humanity? Yeah, God, God's voice is like an orchestra. And apostles and prophets, yeah, maybe they're the violins. They dominate. Mm. But we have other things out there. And um, the greatest sermon, I think, that has ever been preached on the dignity of man is Michelangelo's David. Mm. You know, to stand and look at that, and I get to do it, I feel guilty, I get to do it often. Um, it's a solemn religious experience. This is man, this is God's noblest creation, forward-looking, uh, strong, dignified, self-assured, uh, the highest thing God created. If I were on an island and I couldn't take scripture with me, I'd take Shakespeare. 
<laughs> you know, there isn't anything better for understanding the human experience. Uh, I underline Shakespeare as much as as the Bible, wow. as the Book of Mormon. It, it's he's beautiful. So yeah, there's a lot of voices, mm -hmm. and we want to hear them all. I want the whole orchestra if I can get it. Let me ask uh, one thing that's sort of been on, on my mind as you've been as you've been speaking about this. I'm I'm wondering why it is that sometimes culturally, I think we we do tend to draw those those smaller circles. The the, the thing that comes to mind for me. First, very, very first is my, my own mission experience where we would go back to one of the accounts of the first vision. I think it's the one that, that we publish in the, in the Pearl of Great Price, but that it essentially tells us that part of the answer that Joseph received was that, all, that none of the other churches were, were true. And it sort of sets up then, to me, at least from a very simplistic point of view, this idea of a binary between this church being true and all other churches being false. And if that's, and if that's true, then what's, what's really the point? Of, of looking, I guess you could say at, at other churches, but also we're talking about, uh, obviously much more broadly than that as a whole. So I, I guess I just use that as an, as an example, but to ask more broadly, what, why is it, do you think, that we, that we sometimes tend to bring those two feet so close together? And what are, some, what are some practices that can help us if we find ourselves in that sort of mindset that will actually help us broaden the, broaden the angle? Well, I think part of the reasons we tend to draw a smaller uh, circle <clears throat> uh, is for years the church was under attack. And you're defensive. And when you're defensive, you, 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 put, your, you, you put your fists up. You yes. know, you, you're defending what you have. And you can't look at what others have under those circumstances. Now, I don't know, in this context, we want to go into maybe why the Lord would have said some of those, some of the specific uh, Christian doctrines that Joseph Smith is going to clarify um, that would cause the Lord to say, I really don't want you to go after these. Uh, he's in a New England environment, for instance, and I, I hate to ever criticize other mm -hmm. doctrines or mm -hmm. ideas, um, but the idea that God uh, has elected just a few people for salvation, everybody else is going to be damned. If you are God and you are loving and, and, and you're doing what I'm claiming he's doing here, speaking every way he can to everybody, um, I don't want to worship that kind of God, mm -hmm. uh, that, that restrictive of God. You know, I've, I've talked to other Christian people who, who are absolutely certain that no Muslim, no Buddhist, no Latter-day Saint uh, has any hope at all whatsoever of heaven. So I can, I can understand the Lord's instruction to Joseph about be careful of, of the other face. And I think he's saying be careful of it because they have a very small circle. And we don't want to make the same mistake of having a very small circle. Yeah. But when you're on the defensive, you tend to defend what you, you have. Islam, in a sense, is going through this a little bit. Uh, uh, fundamentalism arises out of often uh, you feel you're under attack. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So in, we're not so much under attack now. Uh, we're more comfortable with ourselves. We're more comfortable in interacting with people. And, and because of that, we're a little freer to go out and look. Uh, I, think, uh, I think we have a tendency to too much 
to quote ourselves. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if I can say it that way. We do love to I, quote ourselves, yes. I, you know, I, I love the enzyme. I don't want to be critical of any church, certainly not my own. But if I'm going to be critical of a faith, better that I be critical of my own than somebody <laughs> sure. else's, okay? So uh, maybe it's just my own observation, but we just tend to quote ourselves exclusively. If I read the enzyme, occasionally Elder Holland maybe will will quote a, a great literary master or something. So when I have written and when I teach, deliberately, I don't quote us. It, it's just a habit mm-hmm. that I'm not going to quote my, uh, us. I'm and sometimes when I publish something with Desert Book, I'll get a new editor that doesn't know this about me. <laughs> I mean, I'll quote a few things if I need it. But I consciously try not to quote us. Not that I don't think we have great things to say. I just want people to reach out with a searching foot a little bit more. Yeah. And a new editor will say, well, you need to quote the brethren or something, you know, and, and I'll have to explain <laughs> to them, you know, that, that if, I, if I can quote Confucius or Francis of Assisi or Tolstoy or Dostoevsky or, or Dickens uh, or David Livingston, yeah. you know, <clears throat> I'm going to quote them because... For me, it is extremely important that we believe in a God who is speaking all the time, everywhere, every way he can, and, and that we tune our ears to those things. I don't have to move my fixed foot. Mm-hmm. We need a fixed foot. Okay? Part of the challenges of today's world is that um, people don't, even believe maybe there is a place to fix. Uh, George Bernard Shaw, as a Irish Anglo Anglo Irish philosopher, said, "The new golden rule is there is no golden rule." And so the old dialogue, the old conversations between the ages and the and the countries of what is the best way to live, what is the right way to live, what defines the good person. Those questions that everybody's wrestling with. Uh, we're not sure we should even be asking those questions now. We don't think in the last couple of centuries that there is a possibility to answer those questions. Part of the restoration was to affirm we can answer those questions. We're trying to answer those questions. We're, we're searching to answer those questions. Um, we want to find the fixed foot if we can. But then let's not draw a little circle around it. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that, that. Yeah, definitely. And I, I wanted to ask you that because I think that I can see the appeal of of kind of having this surface level relationship with all of the best. What what feels like it especially resonates with you across the world, you know, with religions across the world specifically. So what is there? Is there something especially um, like growth inducing about going deep in one place? Yeah, I I think um, it is at the deep level we find all the similarities and correlations. It is at the the core, at the beginnings of Islam, of of Buddhism, of of Chinese wisdom, uh, of Christianity, of Judaism. Uh, it's It's in the beginnings that you find all the similarities. 
Our religions have a tendency to make complex the simple. Mm -hmm. we, we, we just like an onion. We just add layer and layer, and, and, and you get ritual and, and, and different things on it. And pretty soon, that those core values, ideals that all people share, that really make us better people, uh, get hidden. So, for instance, um, a very easy one to see. <clears throat> what is the key operative value, the center of what a, a good person is in, in China, in Confucianism? The key word taught by Confucius and Mencius and all, all the big philosophers and wisdom, sages they call, mm -hmm. is benevolence. Benevolence, harmony, uh, courtesy. These define the ideal human being. Benevolence is the big one. Wow. Now I go to India, uh, the teachings of the Buddha. What is the core, deep uh, value that defines what we're aiming for? And the word is compassion, selflessness. Well, I go to Christianity. What is the core, essential? As Paul says, we have three big ones, faith, hope, charity. But then he tells us of those three, which is the big virtue. And which is it? Charity, empathy, mercy, forgiveness. Now, I look at, let's take those three words, benevolence, compassion, charity. It, is there any real difference between those three words? Those words are the same. Mm. So in, in the core, uh, when I go deeper, when I peel the layers back and mm. I get past uh, the outer forms that religion develops, uh, I will find beautiful, deep things. Uh, Great minds, great hearts, I've discovered as I, I've tried to look for God's voice everywhere. Great minds, great hearts. For them, the similarities are always more important than the differences. For small minds and small hearts, the differences are always more wow. important than the similarities. And that you can write that down in stone. You are yeah. going to find that every single time. So we wow. want large minds and large hearts. I actually brought this. I maybe have another question that I Yeah, uh, I, I when I would go to China, I like to stop in Xi'an. There's a stila uh, or a stone. There are words in China worth writing on stone. There are words in all cultures worth writing on stone. And there's a little uh temple to Confucius actually where they have all the great Chinese classics in stone engraved. Wow. We like them in metal plates. They like them in stone. <laughs> okay? yeah. And when Christianity entered China, the year is 633 when this is written. It's still there. It's one of the great treasures of China. It's called a monument commemorating the propagation of the luminous religion of the West. The luminous religion of the West was Christianity. Here it comes into China. The emperor reads the Christian scriptures that have been translated for him into Chinese. He's got to decide if he's going to let it be preached in China. He reads it, 
and carves on this stella these words. The way for humanity at different times and different places did not have the same name. And the great sage at different times and different places was not in the same human body. Over history, heaven ordained that true religion would be established in different countries and different climates so that all of humanity could be saved and benefited. And we've considered the Christian scriptures. Here's an emperor, a Chinese, he's Taoist, he's Confucian. Mm -hmm. right? And we've considered the Christian scriptures and have decided that in all their essentials, they are about the core values of humanity. And we have decreed that they be propagated throughout the mm. empire. Wow. That's a high level of civilization. That's an open. It's the Tang Dynasty. It's a very <coughs> confident period in Chinese history. And when you're confident in your own in your own fixed foot, you don't Fear going out and looking at other at other places. Yeah, you don't wow. fear. So true. In his wow. it, this um, this point that you're making is actually made by Patrick Mason in his book Restoration too. He calls it the Fortress Church, mm -hmm. and he says when we were under attack, we built up this this fortress around ourselves. And I think what he's saying is, and that caused this sort of isolationist sentiment where we're we are afraid of reaching out. And he's kind of making the point that you're making, like guys, we're we're okay now. Like we can let the drawbridge down. We can, yeah. And um, I, I wanted to ask you, too, a, 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 clarifying, a clarifying point. And based on a couple of things you said, I'm not sure if, if you and I see this the exact same way, and that would be totally okay, too. But I guess I like the idea that there are fixed feet planted by uh, wonderful souls all around the world that are not fixed in what we're calling Latter-day Saintism. And I think it's, it, might, it may be the case that it's totally appropriate for me uh, to have my fixed foot in, in Latter-day Saintism. But like, I think of some of these special souls that have really affected my life. Richard Rohr, for instance, um, the Franciscan theologian and, and mystic. And he's, you know, he's, draw he's so deep and drawing so much wisdom from the Catholic and, and Franciscan traditions that that's, that's giving me light. But I think it's only because his, his foot is fixed there. You know, and I think we could probably say the same about uh, Confucius or... Uh, Muhammad or well, anyone. You might say of, uh, that our feet, certainly if it's Franciscan, that uh, we're, we're, our foot's fixed in the same place. <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah. <laughs> okay. It's, it's in Jesus of Nazareth. Sure. So um, there is something about the, you know, Helaman says, uh, remember, remember, it is upon the rock of your Redeemer that you must build your foundation. So uh, we do affirm that the Jesus of Nazareth, we would, we would hope everybody would fix the foot there. If, if they're not going to fix the foot there, at least send your searching foot out and encompass mm. his teachings, okay? Right. Um, Jesus's teachings is what I call velvet truth. I, I don't know any other way to say it. It's it's velvet truth. There's something uniquely positive and beautiful that keeps my foot fixed there. 
and I just call it velvet. It's just soft. It's prodigal son, the good Samaritan. There's a softness. Uh, it's him looking up at the tree to find Zacchaeus and bring him down. Uh, it's inclusive. Uh, there's a softness in that foot. Um, I, feel that too, yeah. I, I, I look yeah. at Joseph Smith. There's something. I, I, I stick my foot in the restoration because Joseph gives us an experience expansive concept of humanity it's it's massive he we have an eternal past of intelligence spirit uh, family of god this this infinite past and and this divine deified destiny in the future so joseph just expands man uh, he gives us eternal family uh, the latter-day saint religion takes love's demands seriously by nature love demands eternal relationships all the love songs are all about it right all the poetry is about it well we 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 take love's demands seriously and we have enshrined as our highest ordinance, our highest sacred space is where love is taken seriously. The Danes say when two people will not love each other forever, their love is not worth talking about. And, that, and that's not just husband, wife, that's parent, child, that's... Wow. So uh, the temple is a unique element that keeps my foot fixed there. Joseph teaches us God is a present God. He's present. He's, he's a revealing. He, he speaks. He didn't spake. Okay? Mm -hmm. um, to obscure boys and girls, which is what he calls himself. So there's something about the nature of, of our highest ordinances about the presence of God. He, he, he's here. He, he, he didn't speak in the past. It's, he's now. Mm -hmm. he's, he's present. And that expansive, massive uh, vision of the dignity of the human soul that keeps my foot fixed and says, even to the Franciscans, we sh uh, we're both fixed in Jesus. Okay. But let me show you something else. Um, uh, hopefully, everybody, wherever they fix their foot, um, believes deeply in it. But as you reach out with the f searching foot, you're going to find out your fixed foot isn't so far away mm. from the Buddhist foot or the Confucian foot or the Jewish foot or the uh, Catholic foot or the Orthodox foot. Um, in the core, deep essentials, you, you're going to find that. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. Um, I don't know if that helps. That's, that's beautiful. That, yes. Thank you. But, and I, we want to spend uh, quite a bit of time, if, if you're okay with it, on yeah. some, of the, some of the examples of the, of, the, of the things that you found with Searching Foot that you've been 
uh, searching with for for decades. But I wanted to ask sure. maybe one question before we get there is how do you how do you recognize God's voice in your in your search? Obviously, not all ideas are true. Not all ideas are are useful. And there you must have some sort of heuristic that helps all you right. determine you know when you're searching what 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 really is God's voice. Okay, I, yeah, I do have one. <clears throat> Uh, Moroni and Mormon give it to me. I mean, I find it other places, but this is probably the the best place. So in Ether chapter 4, Moroni is talking and he's giving us, and I'm sure he got it from his father Mormon out of Moroni 7. I'll go there real, real mm-hmm. quick. Um, he kind of gives us a backwards formula that we get from Moroni 10.4. Moroni 10.4 is you read, you pray, God manifests the truth. Right. And so that kind of puts all the weight on God. And so people sometimes get a little frustrated. How come God's not answering me? Because he's the one that's got to tell me if it's truth and goodness. And I say, well, let's look at another formula by the same author. Ether 4, 11, and 12. He that believeth these things which I have spoken, he's talking about the Book of Mormon, him will I visit with the manifestations of my spirit. Now that sounds backwards to me. I believe first and then he manifests. I swear, that's backwards. And he shall know and bear record. Well, that's the word we love. I know this church is, you know. True, actually, the Doctrine and Covenants says, and living. I just wish people would get up and say, I know this church is living. Oh, that's interesting. Wow. It means yeah. it matures, it grows, it adapts, it changes. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's, it's not all at once. We, better be, we ought to be better as a people now than we were in 1850. Wow. Okay, that's we, a ought great to have, we ought to have better uh, insight. We ought to be able to apply the gospel better. We ought, we ought to understand our doctrines better. Okay? Right. So he says, they'll know and bear record. Believe. The Spirit will be manifested. You can now go out and bear record. Now, how will I know in order to believe? He says, because of my Spirit, he shall know that these things are true. Why? For it persuadeth men to do good. And whatsoever thing persuadeth men to do good is of me. That's just plain and simple. For good cometh of none, save it be of me. I am the same that leadeth men to all good. That's our search. That's what yeah. that searching foot is. I want all good. And so now I read something. I read the Book of Mormon. I read the Quran. I read uh, a great novel. I look at a great piece of art. I, I, and I ask myself as I read some of the teachings of the Buddha, does this persuade me to do good? or of a Catholic saint. Does this persuade me to do good? And if I read the Book of Mormon, I, my answer is, well, yes. <laughs> it's obviously persuading men to do good. So what do I know? It's of God. Mm. Yeah. And I can do, I do that with, with everything. Uh, section 91, the Lord says, do that with the Apocrypha. Because Joseph mm. is saying, do I need to straighten out the Apocrypha? which is in a Catholic Bible and not in a Protestant Bible. And the Lord says, no, you don't need to do it. People have the Spirit. They can read it. And if they read it with the Spirit, they'll find benefit in it. I just say that's true of everything. In Moroni 7, he just really 
emphasizes that same thing, that which is of God, I get two more verbs. Mm -hmm. I had persuades to do good in ether, four. In Moroni seven, I get invites and entices. Lovely, lovely verbs, persuade, invite, entice. That which is of God invites and entices to do good continually. Wherefore, everything which inviteth and enticeth to do good and to love God and to serve him is inspired of God. Now you can't read about Francis of Assisi or Patrick of Ireland and not see somebody who's inviting and enticing and persuading you to do good, to love God and to serve him. And so what do I know about those people? That doesn't mean everything they do, I, I embrace. You know, there are, everything Latter-day Saint prophets say and do mm -hmm. uh, isn't always the best, okay? The Doctrine and Covenants makes plain that they're gonna make mistakes and they're gonna err and they'll mm -hmm. sin, okay? You know, I, I, it's kind of a little bit humorous, but you know, Catholics believe as a point of doctrine their pope is infallible, but nobody believes it. Mormons admit that their prophets are not infallible, but nobody believes right. that either. Right. Okay, so At we, least not currently, right? Like that, I think we are so uncomfortable with that idea with with current leadership. You know, like we're getting more and more comfortable saying, "Oh, you know, it was." Yeah, it was a long time let, ago. And let people be human. Let them yeah. make a few mistakes. Not say things exactly the way they want. Right. You know, they're going to yeah. be right nine out of ten times. Right. So then he goes on, it is given unto you to judge. You judge. And what do I have to judge? Does it invite, persuade, and entice me to do good, to be good, to love God, to serve my fellow man, uh, that ye may know good from evil? And the way to judge is as plain, that ye may know with a perfect knowledge as the daylight is from the dark night. Okay? I show unto you the way to judge. He really is pounding this into us, isn't mm -hmm. he? Everything which inviteth to do good and persuade to believe in Christ is sent forth by the power and the gift of Christ and God. So I, I just have to read and, and I can hear God say to me, Mike, does this persuade and entice and invite you to do good and to be good and to love and to serve? And I say, yes, Lord, then what do you know? It's, it's of you. Wow. Now, I, I, if you want to make a, a hierarchy of, well, but my, my <laughs> scriptures are going to be a little bit higher than my Shakespeare or, you mm -hmm. know, or, uh, or something. Um, but that's, that's how I do it. I'm, I'm, that's the question I'm asking. Yeah. I, uh, what, that's such a simple, a, sim a simple litmus test. I love it. Very simple. Yeah. And then I get to incorporate it. I get to marry it to my religion. Yes. I get to, it becomes one of the children of Latter-day Saintism, if that's our mm -hmm. new phrase. I, I get to incorporate uh, St. Teresa's teachings on prayer. She beautiful teachings on prayer. Mm -hmm. I, get to, I, I get to own it. It's mine. Yeah. I don't have to be afraid of it and say, well, a Catholic saint did that, so I've turned. No, I say <laughs> it invites and persuades and entices me to do good, and therefore I get, it's, it belongs to me. Yeah, yeah. Because and it I, belongs to my God. Yes, yeah. And I wasn't Joseph Smith such a good example of that. Like he 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 was just that that's what he did, just like gathering, gathering, gathering truth and and asking people to do the same. 
let let it come from where it may or what what, what do you yeah joseph's that? mind was expansive yeah yeah thy mind O man if thou wouldst lead a soul unto salvation must stretch he said mm-hmm. as high as the utmost heavens and search into the darkest abit, abyss and the broad expanse of eternity wow. that that's that's what we want to do as high as you can go as low from the top to the bottom and as broad yes. as you can look you're going to look and i still get to do what i'm still fixed Fixing, yeah. <laughs> okay i'm still fixed but i'm enriching my fixed point right because when I go to God, I want my circle to contain all the good that I possibly could gather on earth. I, w- I want to see him everywhere. As uh, Edna St. Vincent Millay said in a poem, I can put my finger between the blades of grass and find God. All right, thanks so much for listening. We hope that you enjoyed the first part of this two-part conversation with Michael Wilcox. Like I mentioned, in next week's episode, we'll jump into several specific books and ideas from traditions around the world that really resonated with us as Latter-day Saints. And as always, if Faith Matters content is resonating with you and you get the chance, we would love for you to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you listen on. It really helps us to get the word out about Faith Matters, and we really appreciate the support. Thanks so much for listening, and as always, you can check out more at faithmatters.org.